Street Space, The Return. This is Wheel Life. Legal reflections on vulnerable road users. The podcast where two experienced lawyers, who also happen to be enthusiastic cyclists, chat their way through topics concerning cyclists and other vulnerable road users from a legal and insurance perspective. Hello, I'm Emily Formby of 39 Essex Chambers. And I'm Caroline Hall of DAC Beechcroft Solicitors. In this episode, we're delighted to welcome back Daniel Kozelko, my colleague at 39 Essex Chambers, who has come back to speak to us about street space. Hello, Dan. It's so good of you to come back. How are you? I'm great, thanks. I'm really great to be back on the podcast. Thank you. And how's your cycling? Because when we spoke to you last time, you were starting to cycle and you bought yourself a folding cycle helmet that I'd never heard of. But because of you, I've now got one. Are you still cycling or not so much now? It's, uh, well, today, pouring with rain. No, I, I, well, when it's not pouring with rain, I'm still out there popping open my folding cycle helmet and getting on a Boris bike. Um, I still don't own my own, but I, I, I make a lot of use of Boris bikes around London. That's what we like to hear. That's absolutely fantastic. Well, thanks to you. In fact, I've been doing some investigating into folding helmets and hopefully on a later episode, we're going to have a guest who knows all about them. So you really set a hair running there. But today you've come back to speak to us about your more specialist subject of street space. Um, yes. So as a little bit of background about street space, street space is a policy which was introduced by the mayor in um, mid-2020 as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. And the intention of that, this is some quotes from a wording of the policy, was to overhaul London's streets and repurpose them so as to suppress motorised transport with the intention of rapidly transforming London's streets to accommodate a possible tenfold increase in cycling and fivefold increase in walking, which is a really interesting way of describing the policy, particularly arising out of COVID. So um, just to be clear, this is um, the mayor is the mayor of London. So it's a London specific scheme. Is that right? It is, yes. Although, as we discussed last time, actually, there's been similar schemes that we've seen in other cities around the UK. Dan, can I just ask as well, obviously, the wording that you just read out very much is overhauling London streets, repurposing to suppress motorised transport. But it was only really brought about because of COVID. It wasn't this longer term plan. Um, And I think you're going to go through today how it's adapting now that COVID restrictions are lifting, um, as well as obviously the uh, the legal challenges that it's faced. Yeah, I think that's right, Caroline. It was it was brought in in that way and for that purpose. But as far as can be seen from the wording of the policy, the mayor seems to have seen it um, as a as a good opportunity to make some significant changes in London. And in fact, that was a big thing in one of the cases that we're going to discuss today. Well, we know that Sadiq Khan has made no. Um has, has pulled no punches about the fact he wants to reduce traffic and particularly um, car use in the arterial byways because of the air quality and um, the connection between poor air quality and um, health. So um, perhaps it's no surprise it has a dual purpose. But as uh, Caroline says, that led to some of the legal challenges that we're going to be particularly focusing on today. So um, could you just start with a little bit more background about how it was um, intended that how originally it was intended to be achieved and and, and what the sort of legal interest, because we are, after all, a legal podcast, uh, what that was um, focused on, why it's legally interesting. So the way it was going to be achieved, and, and this is how the funding worked for it, was that it was going to use a central government emergency active travel fund, which was a lot of money which was set aside 
as part of the COVID-19 pandemic. And what, what the purpose of that money was to do was to implement a lot of the things that make up the street space policy. So things like implementing cycle lanes or implementing low traffic neighbourhoods or school streets, which are all things which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about today. Um, so that, that's where the funding came from. And then it became very legally interesting because, as with all major policies affecting cities and, and local areas, there were a lot of people who felt that they lost out as a result of this policy. And that's where a lot of the challenges have come from. So the last time uh, you were speaking to us, um, um, Justice Lang had just quashed um, the policy and um, there was um, the um, transport um, regulations applying to Bishopsgate had been um, challenged and there were lots of other High Court challenges in the pipeline as well um, and you were telling us about the UTAG litigation which is the uh, United Trade Action Group which is predominantly taxi drivers isn't that right? Yes it is and that that was the first case to go forward and try and challenge the um, policy and it was very much like the, the genesis and the the catalyst which then caused a large number of other cases to come on so it's quite right. In the, the High Court case, Mrs Justice Lang quashed the policy, so street space itself, and also quashed the specific implementation of the policy in one of the major roads in London, which is Bishopsgate. And so she quashed the traffic order on that road as well. And that was taken up to the Court of Appeal. So what's happened since then? Obviously, the Court of Appeal has happened, but can you take us through a little bit um, of that um, Court of Appeal case for us? Yes, so the UTAG case, United Trade Action Group and T TFL, Transport for London, the, they brought a challenge in the High Court and were successful on a number of grounds. And around the same time that that was going through the courts, a number of other cases came on in different boroughs around London. I was involved in one of them. Quite a few members of chambers were involved in a different um, cases across all of London. And I know at one point, these cases were all listed before Mr Justice Carr, and there were um, at least six individual cases going forwards. Now, in January, as, as we discussed, uh, UTAG, the UTAG decision came down from Mrs Justice Lang, who quashed everything, so quashed the policy and quashed the order on Bishopsgate, and then it went to the Court of Appeal. And the ordering is interesting. The Court of Appeal case didn't come first of the run of cases we're going to discuss today, but what that did is entirely overturn Mrs Justice Lang's decision. So I don't know if it's a spoiler for the end of this podcast, but the, the net result, as you said in the introduction, is street space has returned because the Court of Appeal overturned UTAG. OK, so given that as a result we've now read the last page of the book before we get on to the <laughs> rest of it, shall we go through the High Court cases first? Do you want to tell us about the Shake case first? Yes, so Shake interesting case about low traffic neighbourhoods, which are a, are, are a thing that has existed in many cities prior to street space. It's not a new thing. It's a, it's one of the ways that the mayor has chosen to try and advance the street space policy in London. And the effect of that is mainly closing roads to um, vehicular traffic. Now, in Shake, what happened was a woman who had a number of disabilities uh, challenged the policy as disproportionately affecting her. And for those of 
people who who know their disability law, the, the standard challenge to bring is one of the PSED, which is the public sector equality duty, which all public bodies have an obligation to comply with. Now, there are a number of other challenges in Shake, and one of them is particularly interesting because it involved a cycle group. But the the main challenge and the main ground that was advanced before Mr Justice Carr was that this policy had been implemented without sufficient regard to Ms Shakes and disabled people more generally's equality needs. So how did how did that element of the claim pan out? Well, Mr. Mr. Justice Carr rejected all of the challenges that were advanced in Shake. And this was before UTAG, which is interesting because I say before UTAG, before the Court of Appeals judgment in UTAG. So Mr. Justice Carr was coming in, having had this judgment from Mrs. Justice Lang, which um, I would describe as a pretty strongly worded judgment where she did such things as found that the policy was irrational because of how it had been implemented and the way that it had approached, in that case, taxi drivers. Um Notwithstanding that, Mr Justice Carr considered the public sector quality duty and the fact particularly that these low traffic neighbourhoods have been brought in as part of a response to the pandemic. And I think if you want to take anything from this case, the crystal at the centre of it was his finding that the public sector quality duty can be approached in a rolling way. And so you don't need to decide every matter of equality law when you are implementing a policy, particularly an experimental policy brought forwards in the pandemic. And that's really important for the introduction of these kinds of policies in the future. I mean, the mayor has clearly said that he wants to change things in London going forwards. That is the case in a lot of major cities across the UK. And by having this ruling that says, well, you need to have an eye to the PSED, but you don't have to have said, I've done everything about it, I've done the research, we've decided it now, at a very early stage. And I think that's that's really important for how these policies get implemented in the future. So is it, a, is, is it sort of okay then to say, we've thought about it, but we're going to look for a while as to how it pans out, so to speak, and watch out for the, the shakes of the world and then adapt the policy as we go? Is that is that the, the, the sort of tenor of the judgment? Yeah, precisely. The What Mr. Mr Justice Carr said was, well, I have found that it affected you and it affected you, um, you know, because of your disability. But what Mr Justice Carr then went on to say is notwithstanding this, it wasn't a problem, but it wasn't picked up at this early stage when we were implementing an experimental policy in the middle of the pandemic. And what had happened was the monitoring that was in the background alongside the um, experimental traffic orders were looking out for people like Ms. Sheikh. And so that that was a big an important finding from a perspective of people like TfL or councils introducing this kind of policy. Do you think there's a tension between the description of a low traffic neighbourhood that after all has been around since the 1970s and describing it as an experimental traffic order when uh, they're not really experimental, they've been um, happening for many years, or the, as we know, the court's reluctance to interfere with um, decisions that were made pretty much on the hoof in the light of the pandemic. So do you think that the, the, this um, decision is affected by the pandemic umbrella in a way that it might not have been if it was just a common or garden 
low traffic neighbourhood that's been rolled out any time over the last 50 years. Do you think that was um, a part of the thinking or am I overthinking the process? No, I think I think that's right. The case law generally responding to the pandemic from a public law perspective has been very respectful of the difficult issues that executive decision makers had to you know take into account when they were coming to these conclusions now experimental and temporary traffic orders aren't a new thing and there is case law going back a couple of decades which deals with the question of whether a experimental traffic order is in fact experimental at all. But in this context, it seems to me that the pandemic is such a profound issue that the courts have been generally pretty reluctant to step in. And I think that's what we're going to see, not only in Shake, but also in the other cases we'll discuss today. And the case that comes to mind that really exemplifies this idea is the Dolan case law that went, I think went to the Court of Appeal, where um, they were really reluctant to do that kind of weighing up in hindsight in the context of the pandemic. So that's um, that's a really helpful insight into that. Um, so what happened then, obviously... Uh, weighing in due to the pandemic didn't affect Mrs Justice Lang when she was looking at the uh, UTAG case in the first instance. So what happened to that when it cracked onto the Court of Appeal? Yes, I, UTAG was very much the next case in the chain. And interestingly, I, I went and watched the hearings in UTAG. And one of the big things that happened there, I mean, the, the first point to note is at the end of a two-day hearing, the Court of Appeal held that it was going to overturn Mrs Justice Lang with reasons to follow. It, it wasn't a, um, a, you know, a slow route to that decision. The Court of Appeal got to it pretty quickly. And there were various things that they found problematic in Mrs Justice Lang's judgment. Some of the big stuff they found was these findings by Mrs Justice Lang that was this ulterior motive on the part of the mayor to implement wide-reaching and permanent changes throughout London. And they they found that it essentially amounted to a finding of an ulterior motive that couldn't really stand up to scrutiny. And so were all these challenges that were brought by TfL, they all succeeded and the Court of Appeal issued a pretty strong judgment on those points. Um, they also issued judgments more generally on the taxis policy and the um, street safe policy and why it survived. And, and, and they essentially came to the same point we were discussing a moment ago in Shake, which is high-level policy announcements and policies implemented in the pandemic should be given a lot of uh, deference because they were implemented in emergency circumstances. So on balance, the TfL were dancing in the streets without necessarily knowing why. Um, and the situation is that despite... Uh, as you read out to us at the beginning of this episode, uh, the stated intention of the mayor to transform London streets significantly beyond the COVID period, the Court of Appeal found that um, uh, that was okay and that sort of sat um, alongside the decisions uh, in the Bishopsgate traffic change streetscape. I, I think what I would say of the Court of Appeal's judgment on that is that they found that Lang went too far. And she had overreached, which 
it, it was, to, to be fair, I think when, when we discussed it um, last time, I think I commented that it was a very, very strong judgment. Uh, it was pretty critical of TfL and the mayor in a lot of ways. And so I think, I mean, reading between the lines, I think the Court of Appeals judgment in UTAG was very much a, whoa, rein it back when we're dealing with pandemic-related issues. And really, that deference needs to be very much at the forefront of a judge's mind when it comes to emergency decisions. Yeah. And I, I mean, I suppose that... that um Old chestnut, just because you're not stated to have been thought about doesn't mean you weren't thought about. We just didn't write it down. Um, uh, element of the judgment saying um, just because they don't specifically refer to taxes don't, doesn't mean they're not thinking about them. Um, and, and that overall the changes were broadly minimal to taxi use um, across the whole um, panoply of London roads. So what now? Well, what now from the Bishopsgate order perspective and street spaces, the quashing order from Mrs Justice Lang was set aside, street spaces back on in London, although query how long it can subsist on a uh, emergency footing, for want of a better term. This is a policy which its stated aim is to deal with the emergency of the pandemic and, I mean, touch wood, um, hopefully things really are improving now and the justifications for the policy may be easier to scrutinise if a case came on today implementing a unmodified version of a street space policy that was just, you know, written in the way that the street space policy initially dealt with all these issues. You know, it's the COVID-19 pandemic, ergo we can do what we need to. Daniel, is there a time frame then on it in terms of when the pandemic ends, street escape ends, and when do you define that the pandemic ends, or is it is it got a review date in it? That's that's yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I've not come across one. It doesn't appear in the Court of Appeals judgment where they say, "Aha, this is the moment." The TfL and the mayor have started implementing policies, which you can see where that. They're in a situation where their genesis was in street space, but they're coming forwards on a new footing. So I I think we'll discuss it in a bit. There's the um, Healthy Streets Initiative, which I think that policy came from the mayor and TfL in October 2021. So what, what I would expect to see is that kind of merging into a post pandemic new state of affairs where you see this new slate of policies which you can see how they've come from street space but they're a bit more receptive to the monitoring and the PSED requirements and the um, there are there are some other uh, rules about traffic that we've not talked about so the section 122 of the road traffic regulation act which is about maintaining a safe road um, and all these things you will probably see a lot more in the policies and the places where you know they're actually Im- newly implemented. And do we think there will be challenges um, now? There's not doesn't have to be deference to emergency policies uh, brought by a pandemic. Do we think the people who were knocked back in the in these decisions will start um, standing up and uh, shaking their fist at these new ones? Well, I mean, I, I need some work, so you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> well. I think realistically, yes, because these policies are significant and they impact people in a big way. And things like low traffic neighbourhoods, school streets, cycle lanes, these are all things which, that I mean, to put it bluntly, there are winners and losers. And you will often get situations where losers need to advance a case, something to the effect of, well, my rights have not been considered through a 
PSED lens or my rights have not been considered because there's this policy that black cabs can drive in the bus lanes or my rights have not been considered for a whole panoply of other reasons. And yeah, so I would expect them to come forwards. I would expect the courts currently still to be pretty receptive to COVID, but obviously decisions that were made in May, June, July 2020, I think are a different level. I suppose if Jonathan Van Tam says we're currently in the second half of extra time, um, it would be um, uh, ill-advised of of any uh, any of us to try and determine exactly what that means in length of uh, time going forward. But I suppose also you could start to see uh, a, a, a a differentiation of the types of streetscape plans. So, for example, when everybody was having to eat outside in the summer and um, hospitality being closed for months and months, we saw uh, a lot of cafes and restaurants just, uh, you know, putting chairs and tables out in the street and being allowed to do that. That, for example, must be something that would be called into fairly quick review, whereas other things such as, as you say, the addition of cycle lanes or the reconfiguring, for example, of Park Lane alongside Hyde Park um, uh, or um, some of those other more um, traffic-related or low-traffic neighbourhood um, low issues are, are more likely to persist. Do you think that's, a, do you think that's right? Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I think there are uh, there, there are mechanisms that have been sort of pushed forward through street space, which really were very pandemic centric, and there are some which do sort of align with this comments from the mayor and in the policy about overhauling the streets and things like that. And I think that was that was some of the concern that was advanced in the UTAG uh, appeals and the UTAG challenge was that the taxi drivers there saw some of these policies like the cycle lane uh, on Bishop's Gate as possibly a change that might uh, struggle to be set aside after the pandemic. There were, there were various changes made to Bishop's Gate. There was um, matters about cycle access. There was also matters about just areas around Liverpool Street Station where taxis simply could not go and it was just buses and bikes. So uh, I think I, I could see there was sort of a dividing line in a lot of the people's minds about some of these are pandem- really are pandemic-centric, as you say, like putting tables out in the road, and some which were pandemic-centric to start with, but have got staying power. And I suppose also if you follow uh, the shake analysis that you can unroll or adapt these policies as they uh, become... Uh, used in real time, you could adjust things like letting taxis pull up outside Liverpool Street Station without abandoning the whole Bishopgate scheme. And that would be a way to um, uh, amend or improve what may otherwise be an underlyingly sensible idea. Yeah. And the the ways that these have been implemented, which are experimental road traffic orders, um, these they have a lifespan they're 18 months so maximum of 18 months at the end of which you've either got to decide implement it permanently and go through the permanent implementation rules or get rid so there is a certain amount of i mean it'll be interesting to see we're probably around the time now when we'll see a lot of experimental traffic orders being decided upon and whether they will stay permanent so in a way, that's a bit like the sort of the booster jab of the vaccination scheme. Um, have a look at your experimental orders <clears throat> and decide if they're still efficacious or not, huh? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Okay, okay. Now, look, you've promised us three cases, yeah. but um, I've only got uh, 
two fingers held up so far. So why don't we uh, move on to the third case? Yep. So the, the third case is the HHRC and Hackney case. This is a little bit different to the other two because it deals with a specific Hackney policy. And in fact, I, before I came on today, I word searched the word street space in the judgment. And I think Mr. Justice Dove references it once. So um, it is a different policy. One can see the 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 genesis and the development to this Hackney policy. The Hackney policy was designed to rebuild a green Hackney. And the big thing about this case, and, and the thing that really carried a lot of weight here, well, was two things. There was the network management duty in the Traffic Management Act 2004, that's section 16. It's an interesting point, but it's a very broad duty, which Mr. Justice Jove essentially said can be satisfied in many different ways. And when the Secretary of State for Transport is issuing guidance, statutory guidance on how to approach this, that Hackney has taken it into account and acted on it is maybe unsurprising. The interesting stuff, because you mentioned it before, Emily, is there was also quite a lot of discussion about air quality and air quality management areas, and the fact that the LTNs that were introduced for low-traffic neighbourhoods to stop rat running has the effect of increasing the amount of traffic on arterial roads, which then exacerbated already significant problems with air quality, air management um, on those roads. And so that was the other big challenge that was brought in this case. So just to recap, this case was about a low-traffic neighbourhood um rather than a than a closing of streets or, or putting out of chairs and tables. And the two questions raised were uh, whether or not um, there had been um, a, enough sort of assessment of the potential effect of that low traffic neighbourhood before it was introduced um, and um, whether or not the Secretary of State for Transport had done enough sort of modelling. Um, and secondly, the impact not on that street itself, so not on the low traffic neighbourhood itself, but on the surrounding areas. Those those were the two main areas of concern. Yes? Uh, yes, it was It was more Hackney's implementation. So the Secretary of State for Transport was issuing guidance, which Hackney was enacting on. So the Secretary of State for Transport's policy wasn't itself I say policy, it's, his guidance wasn't itself under challenge. But yes. All right. But but the, but effectively, how much modelling you do following that guidance before you bring in the low traffic neighbourhood yeah, exactly. uh, plan. Yeah. And, and and so in a way, that sits quite comfortably with Shake, which is you do some and then you have to just roll it out in real time because all the modelling in the world won't give you all the answers and you've got to crack on and do things. Yeah. And that on the, on the air traffic point, that's what Mr Justice Dove essentially found. Um, interestingly, there was discussion of the LTNs that existed prior, and there was a discussion of the fact that these kinds of air quality issues had come up in respect of those and modelling had been done, and then issues of air quality would be part of a consideration going forwards, which one can see the parallels very much with the comparative policy, uh, sorry, ruling in Shake. Um, and in fact, this case, HHRC, uh, there was quite a lot of reference to Shake anyway, because one of the other challenges, which we've not particularly talked about, it was also a PSED challenge. So there was also an equalities challenge in it. So what would you say, Dan, from these three cases and the unfolding over the last few months since we spoke to you last, what are the kind of key takeaways for our listeners? Uh, three things I think 
particularly come to mind for me. So first, as we see elsewhere, the courts are pretty deferential to public law decisions and planning law decisions made as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. You only need to go and see the kind of language and the kind of approach that the Court of Appeal was talking about in Dolan and see that the court's very reluctant to weigh in with hindsight on balancing decisions that were made by decision makers acting in, frankly, very unusual and very difficult circumstances. Um, And sort of a corollary of that, and the second point to take away, is this idea of rolling assessments, particularly for public sector quality duty. By having this idea of the rolling assessment, you can respond to things like the pandemic quickly and then consider your next move, let's say, as time passes. Obviously, from the perspective of someone affected by the policy or the order or the, you know, know, LTN, that will feel very bad for them. But from the perspective of public uh, law decision-making, one can see why that is permissible to respond to an immediate problem. And then I think the third thing... I suppose also... I suppose also, if these are time-limited decisions with an 18-month check, um, those that are affected uh, will have a date by which they can make their representations again. So even if it is an adverse effect that isn't fully modelled, there's also that second opportunity with a clear end date to be heard. Yeah. Precisely. And and in fact, I mean, I've not gone through because it's a bit it's a bit long and tedious, all of the different things that you do as part of an ETO. And so there's things like taking advice and consultation at the six month stage and um, general obligations of consultation with certain bodies. So so there's quite a lot in it. Um, I think for a lot of people, it's the fact that they can be implemented. So the starting point for them is comparatively quite low, that people find them particularly aggrieving. Okay. And what about the third point? The third point to take away, I think, is that Street Space has survived. I think now that it has survived, it's going to be used in a way which informs a lot of policies going forwards. And I think that's going to be important for policymakers, for decision makers at places like TfL and um, the mayor and other cities across the UK. And also important when people bring challenges in the future to this kind of policy and that it's going to be in the background as an interesting example of where challenges to a policy, particularly because of the context, really didn't succeed. I think I had one question for you, Dan, um, just before we tie things up. And it was moving forward. We're in the weeks of COP26 and it's really thinking, can you see policies now being introduced under similar terms for environmental reasons um, as an emergency um, because waiting um, for them to go through all the stages and everything else could take too long, bearing in mind everything we're hearing at the moment. So could these policies morph into environmental policies that if challenged, the courts will turn around and go, well, no, emergency powers, they had to do them? That's, yeah, that's an interesting question. I certainly think if uh, policies like street space could be implemented without much danger if the normal approach to policy making from a public law perspective, were adopted. So if it went to consultation, if all the stakeholders were involved, then that would be fine. I think the interesting part of that question is whether one could construe uh, the climate change that we're talking about, COP26, and climate change emergency 
as sufficiently informing this the context such that the courts would be less likely to step in? I think that's a difficult question to answer. I think what may well resolve that is if we got things like statute law which indicated the kind of weight that should be given to environmental ideas or if human rights through the Human Rights Act could be used to better affect these kinds of concerns or if we got policy that underpinned all these decisions. So if the government in- implemented general planning and transport policy that really pushed these points forwards, then w- we might see more of that. But I-, I think that's an interesting question. The government is also consulting or trying to take forward changes to planning more generally, and it will be interesting to see how much of an appearance that kind of consideration of climate will make in it. There was... I mean, this is going slightly off topic now, but the the Supreme Court recently considered um, the Paris Agreement and climate change concerns in the Heathrow case and how that had to be considered. And the the distinction between the two decisions of the Court of Appeal and the Supreme Court reflected that the Supreme Court um, was not going to push in the same way for the the decision makers and and, and the courts to be... uh, they were not going to adopt as stringent an approach in requiring consideration as the Court of Appeal had in that case. But I think a lot of it is in the hands of the decision makers and how they implement policy and how they lay the foundations for climate to be considered more weightily in this kind of decision making. That's really interesting and I suspect it's something that will unfold and develop over the next few years. Yeah, 100%. Brilliant. Well, thanks for coming back today, Dan, um, and running through the uh, the changes since we last spoke to you back at the beginning of the year. Um, do you see very um, legs in any more uh, challenges on streetscape, or is this uh, winding down and finished now for you? I, th- I think on the street space, we're getting very much to the end. Um, I don't know whether the Court of Appeal UTAG decision has been uh, taken to the Supreme Court for a consideration of permission to appeal. The I know that it takes quite a while currently to get a permission to appeal decision from the Supreme Court. I've not heard whether the um, the taxi drivers have asked for permission. But uh, aside from that, the ca- other cases that were before Mr Justice Carr either were settled or went. I, I, I do think this has pretty much reached the end of the road. And w- what is really the next stage in all of this may well be challenging the permanent implementation of a lot of these policies or in fact i mean we've just seen a lot of the roads reopened in soho challenging the decisions to revert and not keep these policies so i I think that's the um next interesting battleground for this particular area well if it proves fruitful maybe you'll come back and we can have uh, three's a crowd and have another episode uh, with you in due course but thank you so much for coming and talking to us today it's been really illuminating um, and jolly interesting thank you Dan thanks both it's been really great thanks Dan bye thanks for listening Wheel Life is brought to you by international law firm DAC Beechcraft and Barrister's Chambers 39 Essex Chambers discover more articles podcasts and webinars over at dacbeachcroft.com and 39essex.com.